I'm going to start this morning's sermon with a quick disclaimer. I come from a family of educators, and I've raised a family of educators. So even though I'll be criticizing one educator, this isn't a blanket condemnation of all kindergarten teachers. I have a lot of respect for kindergarten teachers. It's one of the hardest ages to teach, and one of my daughters is one now. But all that said, when my son William was in kindergarten, I got a call at the church I was serving saying that his teacher needed to see me that afternoon, that there had been an incident. Now, fortunately, I had been around long enough to know there can't be too bad an incident with kindergarten, so I didn't lose uh, too much energy over this and went to the school, went to the classroom. All the kids had been sent home for the day. William was off to his daycare, and I sat down with the teacher. And she proceeded to tell me a story of what had happened earlier that day. William was at his work table with three other little boys, and they were coloring their worksheets quite dutifully, and the kids were allowed to talk during coloring time. But a disagreement arose, and I didn't realize at this point, but I realized later it was a disagreement of theological content that the three other boys were talking about the devil. And they were talking about how much they had to work hard to keep the devil from getting them. And William was not participating in this discussion. Instead, he was doing his coloring. And the three boys turned to William, maybe on William, and started to ask him about doesn't he know the devil's going to get him? And William kept just saying quietly, no, 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 devil's not going to get me. Devil's not going to get me. And they kept pushing, saying, no, the devil's going to get you. And finally, William said too loudly in the eyes of the teacher or ears of the teacher, God loves me, the devil can't get me. Now, at this point, I'm thinking, yes! The teacher, however, felt she had to give me an instruction of theology, that she was quite disappointed that William's education to that point had left out how susceptible he was to the devil getting him. And I had to sit through a 15-minute lecture on how powerful the devil was and how susceptible particularly little boys were to the devil's works. I am sitting there in my clerical collar, all black and everything, <laughs> thinking, what? <laughs> but fortunately, I had the presence of mind, coming from a family of educators, that I don't want to set up William for failure by upsetting this teacher too much. He still had three months to go before he could pass kindergarten. And I didn't want him to get flunked or hassled, so I did the polite nodding and, yes, thank you, this is good to know sort of thing, and then made my way out of the classroom. And it occurred to me, there have been some other instances that should have clued me into this teacher's attitude. I remember back at the Christmas program, the teacher turning around to a classroom full of parents and saying, don't tell the Supreme Court this, but we're going to sing some real Christmas songs and some old little town of Bethlehem and stuff. And at the time, I thought she was just being cute. 
didn't realize she was kind of extreme in how she saw how the world worked. So I think of this story when I think of this morning's gospel, and particularly the part about James and John wanting to pour fire down on that Samaritan town because they would not receive what James and John and the other disciples were talking about in terms of Jesus. And there was a good reason, really, why those Samaritans would not put a lot of credibility into the words of Jesus and his group. The Samaritans and the people who were centered on Jerusalem had all sorts of conflicts that were around theology, were around culture, were around economics, just about any status you could think of, they were on opposite poles. And so I think that's one of the reasons Luke tells us this was going to be a tough crowd if we knew who the Samaritans were. And so it's no shock that the Samaritans said to James and John, yeah, you know, you're, you're those Jerusalem dudes, you don't have any credibility with us. James and John's reaction? Burn them! Now, Jesus rebukes James and John. He says, no, no. This is one of the few places where Jesus really, in a sense, raises his voice to anyone. In this instance where his followers want to thoroughly exclude someone, to put it lightly. Jesus says no. He rebukes them. We then have, right after this, three persons who have an encounter with Jesus, and these encounters are about having a certain hesitation about following Jesus immediately. Jesus doesn't rebuke any of these three. Jesus instead simply gives them a line of wisdom, a line of teaching, and it doesn't even say what their response is. Sadly, a lot of Christians think that these three people walked away and didn't follow Jesus. It never says what their response is. It's just as likely that each one of them said, I hadn't thought of it that way before. Off we go. Let's go, Jesus. We don't know. But if you Google this passage, for instance, to just do the, the shortcut, you'll find that most commentators insist that these three people let Jesus down, did not follow Jesus, put their other priorities first, etc., etc. It doesn't say that. But our human reaction to these words, to this passage from Luke, for hundreds of years now, shows us how careful we have to be about how we think about Scripture, how we think about God, how we think Jesus acted, how we think God acts now. And I go back to that kindergartner saying, God loves me. That's what we have to keep in our hearts and our minds. That's the lens through which we have to read Scripture and look at our lives and look at how the whole wide world works that Jesus was very explicit about not excluding anyone, tax collectors, people who did all sorts of terrible things, people who were outsiders, people who were insiders, people in power, people out of power. Anyone who encountered Jesus was welcomed to follow Jesus, even if it couldn't happen that day. And yet, for 2,000 years or so, Christians all too often have said, eh, not you, not you. 
devil's going to get you. The devil's already gotten you. You should burn. We've been all too often willing to walk that path. But if we take seriously what the gospel says, we take seriously this passage and so many others, we'll see that Jesus does not send anyone away forever and ever. He sends some people away to get their act together. He offers all sorts of complex invitations at times, but it's never a, nope, never want to see you again. We have to live in a similar way. We have to see the world in a similar way. We have to see other people in a similar way as Christ does. We have to remember that no matter how good it feels to want to bring down fire on the Samaritans, no matter how good it feels to think that someone's out so that we're in, no matter how good it might feel to think that we're like some kind of Christian superhero who fights off the devil when we don't have to, because God loves us, Despite all those temptations, we have to set those aside and know deep down, quite simply, that God loves everyone. God loves us as individuals. God loves the whole wide world. No one excluded. No one smiteth. No one burned up. No one excluded. That said, human history shows us how hard it is to live that out. So I don't say these words at all lightly. I know this is a lifelong task that we have to revisit over and over again of saying a prayer for the jerk who cuts us off in traffic or the person we disagree with politically or however it is that we start to, I wish I could smite that person. Whatever it is, we have to ask God to transform us, to heal us, to soften our hearts so that we can live out the gospel message that no one's excluded, no one is damned, no one is sent away from Christ. Instead, all are welcome. God loves each and every one of us. The devil's never going to get us. Instead, we are called to love deeply, to love thoroughly, and to allow God's love to flow through us so that we can do that successfully. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.